today on Ag News Daily. Lactose is really high in milk, along with milk proteins and milk fat. It's a very digestible uh, source of nutrients for the young baby piglet. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mike Pearson coming from Chicago, joined by Delaney Howell coming from Iowa. Delaney, how you doing? I am pretty good. The snow has held off so far. Uh, yeah. That was my next so question. Far. I was watching the radar, and it looks like we've got some white stuff making its way across Nebraska, parts of Iowa. I think it's just going to intensify uh, through tomorrow. Yeah, I'm pulling up the radar right now, looking at that. And it does look like there's a big, big storm cell coming our direction. Yeah, right about, right about now, here in about mm, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I'd say it's probably going to start. Fun. I know they're talking snow tomorrow in Chicago. Chances of um, maybe three to five inches in some parts of the city. So I know, watching the radar, that uh, Chicago's not the only place getting hit. This current moisture system is now spreading all the way from up into Michigan and Ohio, all the way down to Oklahoma. And uh, this is going to keep a lot of folks out of the field for a while. I mean, it is Actually, I lied. I didn't have my radar expanded all the way. It runs from Oklahoma, a little bit of a gap in Arkansas, mm. through Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, yeah. Michigan, parts of New York, Ontario, and then up into uh, Quebec. Yeah. There, yeah, there's like three different cell clouds or cells right now looking like that rain pattern. And then there's another snow, oh, a mix of stuff up around the... Chicago, Detroit, Michigan, and then a snow patch that's heading my direction right now. So lots of fun weather. Yes, not expecting to see a whole lot of progress being made when we get next Monday's yeah. crop progress report out, unless things turn around and dry up very, very quickly uh, after this blows over. I always think it's strange, though, because the weather app that I use, which is just Yahoo Weather, um, shows on the radar that there's snow coming, but then in their, like, hour-by-hour hour forecast, they don't have it in that. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, maybe it snuck up on them. They could see it on the radar, but they didn't know it was coming. I guess. You'd think they'd be able to change I don't know. that, but anyways, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know what we can see coming, Delaney? What is that, Mike? We can see some legislation on the federal level designed to stop drug abuse in Guess which sport? Sport? Sport. Um, it's related to agriculture. Oh. Mm, polo? Close. You're right about the horses. It's horse racing. So over the past, uh, or in the past year, since last December, 36 horses have died at Santa Anita Park in California, and this has caused a, uh, a big push to end the use of drugs on race day, and they want to establish a national anti-doping authority for horses. This act is called the Horse Racing Integrity Act, and apparently a lot of the horse racing industry is supporting it. Um, but the racetrack where these races are held is really opposed to it, and I don't quite know why. Reuters did not have a uh, have a quote from the racetrack, so I'm not sure what their reasons are for being against it, but uh, this would federalize some standards in the sport of horse racing, and I know we've got some listeners who are in the horse biz, so hmm. uh, this could become. 
Re you're really stretching for news there today, or what, Mike? <laughs> no, I mean horse racing. That's ag. It's the know. entire bluegrass just, region of Kentucky is built on quarter horses. Um, you it's know, a Mike, very, very high dollar part uh, of our industry. I've got to say, though, there is some news that I think takes the cake for today. And I don't know, we talked a little bit about what's going on with the U.S.-China trade deal that's anticipated to be signed in Chile, but there is something that could derail that entire thing, and it's something totally unexpected that's absolutely out of the U.S. and China's control. Have you heard anything about this today? Well, I know that they will not be signing a deal at the APEC meeting in Chile because there will be no okay. APEC meeting in that's Chile. Right. I just thought that's crazy. I saw this come in today. And maybe you reported it yesterday. I guess I don't know now that I think about no, it. No, huh? No, I think this okay. came out uh, or early this morning or late last night. Yeah, but there is absolutely no APAC summit because they are having civil unrest in Chile and um, they're having political rallies and riots. And it sounds like they've canceled it due to safety reasons and other things so that they can get their country back in order before they have this summit. Yeah, and you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about the riots going on in Chile. Um, most of the press up here in the U.S. has been focused on the riots going on in Hong Kong or in Lebanon or in Baghdad. But uh, Chile, these have been very severe. Uh, over the past month, 18 people have died in these riots. 7,000 people have been arrested. And there have been losses to Chilean businesses of about $1.4 billion wow. due to looting and arson. Wow. Yeah, so it makes sense that uh, they're not going to bring in, you know, 15 of the heads of state from around the world to uh, chit-chat while this is yeah. happening around them. Yeah, that's probably not the, the best place for all those people to be. Yeah, yeah, so it's one of those things we're going to continue to focus. We, the White House did come out and say they still aim to sign the deal next month. They said despite the cancellation of APEC, um, they are making plans to get together. They have not yet finalized an alternate location for the meeting, but they do plan on getting together November 11th through the 17th and signing phase one. So the White House is still confident they're going to have something um, written up, I guess, and finalized by the time we get to mid-November. All right. Well, I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we all are. If we can put an end to at least some of the speculation, it turns out one of the main causes of concerns, this was reported by Chinese authorities earlier today, um, one of the reasons China is balking at signing this phase one of the deal is because they don't want to be penned in on buying a specific dollar amount of U.S. commodities at a specific time. They say they're very willing to make purchases of U.S. commodities, but they want to do it when it makes sense for them in their country. They don't just want to say, we're going to buy $50 billion by the end of the year. They want to say, all right, we'll buy some at a point where we feel it makes the most sense. And, you know, that's not the the promise that President Trump has made to farmers. So the U.S. side, the USTR, is pushing back, and they're really trying to lock China into a set of purchases. I mean, I get it from the Chinese standpoint. You don't want to buy something you don't need just to make good on a, I don't know, that's a slippery slope. Right. It is. And I think the U.S. is saying, listen, if you want these tariffs removed, you got to come to the table and, and buy our stuff. And yeah, I guess we'll just see who's willing to hold out longer. That we will, Mike.
And so we talked a little bit yesterday about the new hemp interim rules. I was discussing it with Natalina Sens last night, who is a journalist for Successful Farming, and she sat through that call. And I didn't realize this, but part of the standard for, regardless of what the states have in place for next year's 2020 production, regardless of what your state has in place as far as regulations go, basically you fall back on the federal regulations if your state doesn't have any specific rules put in place yet, but does have hemp legalized at the state level. And I thought this was interesting, but you actually have to apply for a hemp license through your FSA office if you want to grow hemp for the 2020 growing season, which apparently helps them with this now new hauling interim rule that they've put together about driving on interstate commerce. You have to have that hemp license with you, I think, to even haul the hemp. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that goes into effect tomorrow on Halloween. Oh, all right. Well, you know, I was having a discussion about this very thing this morning on uh, there's a great Facebook group called the Ag Hedging Chat Group. Uh, listeners, if you're into you know, grain trading, you can check it out. Um, but we were sharing stories about hemp and this interim hemp rule, and uh, a fellow from Iowa commented that he was surprised at the number of fees and licenses that it takes to really get this thing done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's not an easy process. Um, no, it is not. And I've got just one other piece of news before we kick it over to our interview. But this I thought was interesting. Um, Vietnam imports a lot of wheat every year. They, they grow very, very little wheat of their own. Typically, they import it from Russia. Russia is, is practically their neighbor. And so it's more economical to ship in Russian wheat. However, shipments from Russia into Vietnam have been suspended due to the presence of thistle seed. And uh, so Vietnam has cut off all of their future imports from Russia, roughly 2 million metric tons of wheat. And they were looking on the open market, and they have turned, rather than to America, where shipping would be slightly less expensive from the Pacific Northwest, they've turned instead to Argentina. And they have agreed to step in and buy 2 million metric tons of wheat from Argentina. But now there's concern with the recent election this past weekend of the – Peronist president to the the head of Argentina, uh, maybe these export taxes could come into play. So there's a possibility that the U.S., after this roundabout way of doing things, might end up with some wheat shipments to Vietnam after all. All right. Well, Mike, the I have like two pieces of news, but one's just kind of a funny story that I saw and I might share on our Twitter and Facebook account at Ag News Daily, but the first piece of real news, that, or the last piece of real news I have to share for today is looking at, yet again, folks in Congress trying to overhaul and create a new farm labor package. We've seen representatives from both sides of the aisle are planning to introduce a comprehensive legislation today to overhaul the current agricultural labor program and this new act be, being called the Farm Workforce Modernization Act would provide a legal pathway to undocumented farm workers who have been working in agriculture here in the United States for at least two years and want to continue their jobs in the U.S., so allowing those folks to stay within the U.S. instead of having to go back and do that touch period and come back to the U.S., And it would also establish a mandatory e-verify system nationwide for farm employers to bid a 
hopefully to boost support among conservatives there. And then it would also simplify those H-2A application processes and cap wages for farm workers and raise funding for USDA programs for that housing for the laborers. Because, of course, that's been one of the points there is, you know, these people aren't having nice enough conditions to live in, etc. And so they're aiming to address, really, it sounds like, most of the issues that we have heard here over the past couple of years about ag labor. Yeah, well, we need some clarity. So hopefully this will get done and we can uh, at least have an indication of how this farm labor implementation, yeah, whatever you want to call it, it starts to get put into practice. Absolutely. Okay, Mike, are you ready for the last piece of news I have today? That's, I mean, really, you, you have to see it to completely appreciate the true value of what I'm about to share with you. Perfect. Well, then let's talk about it on a podcast, Delaney. I love the way you're thinking. (laughs) Well, I will share it, like I said, on our Facebook and Twitter account. But, Mike, you're a a fast food guy. How do you feel about the fast food restaurant of Arby's? I'm a huge Arby's fan. I'm the biggest Arby's fan there is. I love Arby's. I think you are not the biggest Arby's fan there is because this man that has an article written completely about him, is definitely Arby's biggest super fan. Um, so Michael, I'm going to butcher his last name, I'm going to say it's Sweatzer or Schweitzer, loved Arby's from a young age, and according to his mother, he was a very picky eater, but she could always get him to eat the classic roast beef sandwich with some cheddar cheese on it. And so it was something that he just fell in love with. Apparently Michael goes on to be a culinary chef, which is what he's doing now, but... He started looking for tattoo inspiration from the beef and cheddar sandwich from Arby's and now above both of his knees has beef and ched now on one knee with a picture of the burger and beef and cheddar later with a picture of the burger on his other knee. Oh, wait, so these are tattoos? These are permanent tattoos of the Arby's sandwiches on his legs. Awesome. Well, I would get just the mega roast beef, and it would just be on my chest. <laughs> like a tattoo? A tattoo. Yeah, his are in Absolutely full color. Absolutely a tattoo, dripping in Arby's sauce. Yep, that's about how this tattoo looks. That's that's what I would do. So I, I need to call this guy and figure out who his, uh, his tattoo artist is. Yeah, he, they did a phenomenal job. You know, I've always been against getting myself tattoos, because, Delaney, <laughs> as you know, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Bentley. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. For Arby's, you know, I, I might be convinced. Okay, well, this man apparently was, so. Well, good for him. Well, listeners, I've got a bit of bad news. We're recording the podcast a little early today. Both Delaney and I will be out and about all afternoon, so we will not have time to update the closing markets. I encourage you all to just, uh, you know, Call around. You can always reach me at 312-277-0112 to chat markets. But we do have an interview for today. Delaney, who are we talking to? You know what, Mike? I have forgotten that we recorded this interview quite a while ago, but going back to some stuff going on with African swine fever, and I think it sets us up nicely today to also report that South Korea has just reported their sixth and seventh outbreak across their country. And so we continue to see that dominating the hog industry and today we're going to talk about that science behind this study that whey permeate study that we talked about oh probably about a month ago now with dr phil tong we're going to talk about the science behind that study of how whey permeate serves to help the pork industry as they continue to have to cull and get rid of animals due to african swine fever 
Well, after having a conversation with Dr. Phil Tong a couple of weeks ago, we're going to follow up on that conversation to talk a little bit more about the science behind that whey permeate study with Dr. Kevin Halpin, who is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the International Ingredient Corporation. Kevin, that is a little bit of a mouthful, but before we get started talking about that study, tell us about the role that you play within the feed ingredient industry. Sure, I'm happy to do that. Thank you, Delaney, for having me on. Uh, so my role at International Ingredient Corporation is, as you said, is in charge of sales. Uh, we have uh, both uh, international sales and domestic sales. We're about 50-50 as a, as a company, um, and our sales are largely in the uh, U- U.S. for 50%, and also in China and, I'm sorry, in Asia and Latin America are the two regions of the world that we focus on outside of the U.S., um, we are in um, the feed ingredient business, and dairy powders are a large part of that. Whey permeate being being our primary one. We call it Dairy Lac 80 in our in our house, and we sell that all over the world. Um, and uh, we uh, about 70% of our overall business is in the baby pig area, so that's our bread and butter. Absolutely, and that just segues really nicely into the bread and butter of what I wanted to talk about today, which is the study that ADPI has put together looking at whey permeate as a way to grow piglet herds and hog herds back in China a lot quicker. Can you explain to us the science behind that research study? Sure. As as a young pig is weaned from the, the, the mother sow, that's a fairly stressful time in, in the piglet's life. Uh, you can imagine uh, a young pig, uh, about three weeks of age, has been used to drinking sow's milk, mother's milk, uh, and at, a, at about that period of time, at about 21 days of age, they are weaned off of the sow and, and changed to a, a dry diet. And you can imagine the how stressful that can be going from a liquid sow's milk to a, to a dry diet. At that same time, uh, when they're being removed from the sow, they're also being housed with other piglets. Other, so there's a social uh, stress period as well. Um, the diet change to a, you know, a, a dry diet and vegetable-based diet, it's mainly the two key ingredients being corn and soybean are, are vegetable-based. So there's an impact on digestion that, that occurs there. Um, at that same time, there are... Uh, being put into a, in an environment with other piglets and so forth, and there's the exposure to, to pathogens also increase, so you have uh, greater immune challenges. So that's just that period of time is just a, a stressful time in, in a young pig's um, life. Dr. Halpin, when you look at the hog industry here in the United States, do a lot of producers use whey permeate in those finishing settings or in the piglet settings? Yes, whey, um, about probably the use of dried whey as an ingredient uh, probably began more than 50 or 60 years ago. I know there's studies back in the 1950s that talk about feeding dried whey. And again, that period of time when you're removing um, the piglet from sow's milk, which is just like just what you would think, it's a, a liquid milk diet that is very high in lactose. Lactose is really high in milk, along with milk proteins and milk fat. It's a very digestible 
uh, source of nutrients for the young baby piglet. As you're moving from that diet to a to a dry diet, the inclusion of milk ingredients in those early dry diets is very helpful. Uh, the young baby pig has an enzyme system that has been geared up to use lactose, which is milk sugar. It's been uh, geared up to use milk protein and milk fat. So providing those same kinds of milk-based ingredients in a dry diet is helpful in that transition process. And when you look then at the Chinese hog herd floating back and forth here between the U.S. and China, but I think it helps our listeners, you know, create some sort of comparison. When you look at the Chinese hog herd, some of the comments made around these whey permeate studies was that it would increase their ability to repopulate the hog herd. Is it just because it provides a different source of of protein or of a way to get feed, or or what's the the mindset, I guess, behind that claim? Sure. So whey permeate is a is first of all very high in lactose. It's an eighty percent lactose product. So the uh, compared to to dried whey, its predecessor. Um, it's higher in lactose, but a little bit lower in, in milk protein. Some of the milk proteins have been pulled out uh, to produce whey protein concentrate, which has value in human products and so forth. So the permeate is, that results is, is higher in lactose, but a little bit lower in protein. So it is a, a, a economical source of lactose, which is the reason the permeate is fed to the young pig. Um, it has essentially because of the economics, has become the single, I, sh- I shouldn't say the single, but the, the primary source of lactose for the baby pig. There's more whey permeate fed to piglets these days than, than either dried whey or crystalline lactose or other forms of lactose. So permeate has become the most economic and the, and the predominant source of lactose for, for piglets. And when you look at a timeline for repopulation, obviously China's hog herd has really been impacted by African swine fever. Have there been any right. studies or research to show how fast compared to maybe other products whey permeate allows them to repopulate their hog herd? So whey permeate would have value in, in, any, in any swine herd, whether it's in China or the U.S. Um, the feeding is, is, is important. Uh, how the mechanism um, might work like this, uh, number one, permeate is is going to increase feed intake. The lactose in, in the baby pig will increase the uh, early feed intake in, the, in those piglets, which then in, improves uh, the body weight of those piglets. Um, having the piglets all consuming more feed uh, probably will increase pig uniformity. So you don't have as much variation within a herd from the smallest to the to the heaviest pig. There'll um, there'll be more uniformity if they're fed well. You would have better um, gut health, which uh, will improve uh, survivability, overall survivability of the pig, piglets. And then uh, there's a, quite a few studies that show that if you get the piglet off to a really good start. If you feed it well and it's doing well and it's it's a healthy pig, it'll it'll be a better pig all the way through the system, and will end up finishing at get to a slaughter weight or a um, you know a, a marketing weight quicker, fewer days to market, 
which means just better overall economics and better overall uh, production in, in the unit. So it, um, I would say the answer, uh, permeate or lactose is part of just a good nutritional program that will improve the overall profitability of, of the pig unit and, um, you know, more pigs to market quicker. Absolutely. That makes total sense. I guess really the final question I have for you, spinning back to focusing here on the U.S., obviously African swine fever is a huge threat that could impact our hog herd very drastically as well. In your role there yep. with the International Ingredient Corporation, and I saw on Twitter you also do some stuff with the American Feed Institute Association, what precautions should hog producers be taking? Because we've read some studies that show that especially in certain types of feed that use hog product or blood meal, the virus can stay active for up to 30 days, I think I read. So which precautions or what should we be thinking of in lieu of that? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. The, there is no cure or vaccine for African swine fever. So the, I guess the, the key to um, disease management is basically biosecurity, uh, controlling um, flow of, of watching what what ingredients come into a feed mill and from where the transportation of the feed trucks themselves one from one barn to another or the transportation of the of the hogs to slaughter and processing facilities those are all places where uh, you know having proper biosecurity measure uh, processes in place or uh, would be very very key um, in terms of the the feed ingredients themselves. Um, yes, th there is some here in the U.S. I know there's some precaution about ingredients coming from China and and being able to hold them long enough in a in a feed mill. and And the American Feed Industry Association has some really good guidelines on its website about how to how long to hold a uh, a feed ingredient before use and so forth. So there there are measurements um, to control to help control the disease process or the, the prevention of disease, even even in the feed ingredients through storage measurements and things like that. Gotcha. All right. Well, that makes that makes sense. Thank you so much, Dr. Kevin Halpin, for sharing with us about this information. I know we've got a lot of pork producers that listen sure. to the podcast, and I'm sure they value your information. Sure. Can I add one other thing? That, uh, one One thing that we're, we're trying to do, uh, in fact, we have uh, the U.S. Dairy Export Council We'll have two seminars at the end of October, and, and um, I know two of us, myself and one other gentleman from our company, are, are going over, and, and a number of the uh, dairy companies from the U.S. are going over as well to participate in the seminars. We have some really good speakers to talk about uh, the, the benefits of feeding, feeding lactose and the benefits of feeding good nutritional programs in general and how that might help um, in in the prevention of diseases and the, uh, help control or help uh, manage, help, um, you know, piglets get to market sooner. Um, as you mentioned, there's probably about half of the uh, pigs in China have, have been lost due to African swine fever. So those that remain are valuable. So getting them to the marketplace quicker is, is, uh, is worth money. And uh, that's the reason for the seminars is um, – one thing that we've 
uh, notice from statistics and from um, how we know we feed pigs here in the U.S., we feed close to one kg of lactose in a in a pig's lifetime, and in China, typically it's about half of that. So we we believe that it's important to make sure not only lactose but all nutrients are fed at a high enough level to maximize performance and uh, minimize the, um, um, the 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 economic uh, losses due to African swine fever. If we have half the pigs still in China, we should feed those well and get them to market as soon as we could can because they're they're valuable. Absolutely that they are and hopefully those seminars really help the Chinese take a play out of the US's playbook on biosecurity. Dr. Kevin Halpin, thank you so much for joining today. Delaney, it's been my pleasure and thank you. I look forward to any additional questions you may have. Well, a big thank you again to Dr. Kevin Halpin there. And uh, just fascinating stuff, Mike. I think he really puts it in perspective and hopefully sheds a little light. I didn't realize whey permeate was used as such a, I guess, necessity in those weaned pigs and smaller pigs' diets. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things where one of the incredible values agriculture has is we can take byproducts and we can turn those byproducts into valuable products. We see this in the ethyl industry with DDGs. We see it in the dairy industry with this whey permeate. We see it throughout the industry as, a, as ways to take something that would ordinarily go in a landfill and instead convert it into a fine food stuff for growing livestock. It's It's an incredible talent we have in agriculture. That it is, Mike. And I tell you what, if folks want to get caught up on some of these other talents that exist in the world of agriculture, we have interviewed thousands, well, certainly hundreds of people on the Ag News Daily podcast over the years, and all of our episodes are on file at our website. Go to agnewsdaily.com, and that will take you to our new home, the Global Ag Network. Connect with us. Connect with any of our other podcasters. We've added some new ones here over the past two weeks, so be sure to get in there and check that out. And they can always interact with us on social media. Head over to Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and search for Ag News Daily. We'll be there. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.